Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Discovery Debrief. And this one is going to be our 2017 finale. Uh, we weren't quite sure if we were going to be able to come to you one more time before we, we rang in 2018, but here we are. And uh, we're going to be taking a little bit of a cosmic detour. So I hope you stick with, a, with us for this episode. So generally, we, of course, love getting into the weeds of the latest trek into the final frontier of Star Trek Discovery. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined, as usual, by members of our wonderful panel, including Rachel Clow. Hi, Chris. Hi, Rachel. C Cicero Holmes. Hello and salutations. And Zaki Hassan. Hi. Hello. So we're still a couple of weeks away from the return of Star Trek Discovery to CBS All Access. So we brought back Kyle Sullivan from Expertise so that we can all have a discussion about Star Wars The Last Jedi the latest entry in the highly popular box office juggernaut taking a little bit of a of a detour this time but i think there's quite a lot to chew on with this uh, latest entry in the star wars saga and uh, hopefully we can come at it from a little bit of a different perspective especially having been a star trek show for 10 episodes before we get to our discussion about the last jedi there was a very interesting news item that cropped up in the star trek universe so why don't we take a look at that first So according to a report at Deadline, and following up with our discussion uh, in the last episode about Quentin Tarantino possibly coming to the Star Trek franchise, the director has reportedly helped in narrowing down a writer along with the precondition for his involvement. So the report at Deadline, the, uh, the most consequential element of it reads, quote, Tarantino met for hours in a writer's room with Mark L. Smith, Lindsay Beer, Drew Pierce, and Megan Amram. They kicked around ideas and one of them will get the job. I'm hearing the frontrunner is Smith, who wrote The Revenant. The film will most certainly go where no Star Trek has gone before. Tarantino has required it to be R-rated, and Paramount and Abrams agreed to that condition. Okay. Okay. This is, this is pretty interesting, at least to me. So, guys, my only questions coming out of this. Is Star Trek ready? to be R-rated? Should it even be considered for an R rating? Can this be easily justified by the story Tarantino wants to tell? Or will this take Star Trek to a needlessly dark place? Kyle, what do you think? Um, yeah, Star Trek is ready to be R-rated, sure. Um, <clears throat> but please note my opinion on this. I think that the rating system is trash. <laughs> uh, and that it has no merit on the quality of any film, you know? Uh, so I, I'm a little puzzled by Tarantino's request uh, to make it R-rated. It sounds like a crutch and that he sort of dwelt in that wheelhouse for most of his film career. Uh, if, if he needs it to be R-rated in order to function the story, that tells me a lot about the limitations of his imagination. You know, mm -hmm. it's possible to make a good film without considering the rating sure but is star trek ready for it yeah absolutely all the fans are adults these days yeah it, it definitely seems that way I'm, I'm guessing that you have seen this film is not yet rated the uh the documentary i think was it from about 10 years ago yeah. where they peeled back the curtain on exactly what constituted the mpaa rating system and yeah it's it's trash that i, I think that's an accurate assessment uh cicero what do you think man uh, is Star Trek ready for an R rating? Sure. Um, you know, if if 
people are listening to this, I'm assuming they've already watched Star Trek Discovery. If Star Trek Discovery was on the big screen, it would have an R rating. Um, yeah. You know, without question, it would be uh, if it was on broadcast or cable television, it would be TVMA uh, for mature audiences only. So um, and that is the equivalent of the trash R rating in the uh, for the MPAA. So. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I think I think we're ready for it. And, and like Kyle said, most of most of the uh, Star Trek's uh, fandom are adults anyway. Um, I don't necessarily look at it as a crutch. Again, you know, I'll point back to Discovery. There are things, there are things that Discovery did uh, with that uh, adult-like freedom that they had of, of being a, a streaming show that were a, a bit gratuitous, but there were other things that actually added to the show, like the, the, the uh, introduction of Ripper. Where he, mm -hmm. you know, you know, you know, where he just went through, or he, I, I refuse again, still refuse to assign a gender to Ripper, where Ripper, <laughs> you know, ripped through all of the uh, the crew the, and the Klingons and and the 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 visceral nature that you that that with which uh, Ripper did that, uh, and you got to see the aftermath of that. That that was done to great effect. Uh, and that is something that you wouldn't be able to do with a PG-13 uh, on 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 the big screen. So um, I hope that it is used to uh, great effect if they're going to use an R rating and not just an excuse for him to to drop some Mickey Fickies and and have uh, you know Samuel L. Jackson drop some N bombs or something like that. Like you know, let's sure. let's let's hope it's 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 uh, Star Trek is an adult series, um, you know, with adult themes, and sometimes those those adult themes go blue. Um, but let's hope that he doesn't just go into scatology just just for the sake of doing so. Yeah, there's a there's a difference between something like uh, an R-rated movie like There Will Be Blood, and I don't know a National Lampoon's Absolutely. movie, right? I mean, there, it's it's not as if it's a a binary state of existence. And that's a good point about Ripper. It definitely created quite a uh, contrast with what we would find out about Ripper later. Rachel, you've got to have some feelings about this. Tarantino fan, Rachel. How do you, how many reports like this come out that nothing comes of it? Sure. Well, yeah. I, I mean, I honestly don't know. I'm honestly asking. Coming from a trade like no, no, this. It's true. Yeah. A, a, a lot. The thing that immediately just jumps out at me about this, though, is the fact that it's in deadline and the fact that Star Trek as a cinematic franchise has its future in doubt. And this seems like the kind of stunt a studio would pull. Right. But yes, that absolutely deserves that kind of qualifier because this very well may turn out to be nothing. Uh, yeah. I mean, I was just asking because I don't know. Yeah. I, but it, sound, it seems to me like I can remember a lot of stories about movies that were sort of developed and then abandoned, right? Oh yeah, I'm still waiting on Batman Beyond written by Paul <laughs> Dini and directed by Bose Yakin. So So I I'm still kind of in the I'll believe it when I see it kind of phase. Um I agree with Cicero that an R rating doesn't necessarily mean a certain type of movie right mm -hmm. well there are lots of different r-rated movies um so that doesn't really bother me um that's i i don't really know a lot of those writers 
except for Megan Amram, who I follow on Twitter and is very funny. <laughs> which I, <laughs> I th- and I thought she was like a sitcom writer. So that kind of that. I don't. I wonder if that's a tone that they're going for. I'm not sure, but mm-hmm. again, I'll I'll believe all of this when I see right, it. Right, of so course. I'm and, very skeptical, and I, I think there's a good reason to be. But Zachy, uh, so we're talking about how most of the fan base these days usually are adults, which yeah, it sounds true. But how does this all sound to you, particularly as someone who is currently sharing Star Trek with his kids? <laughs> I'm I'm passing it on to my own next generation. Yeah, you know. <laughs> uh, you know it, I'm I'm in in principle I'm okay with it. I mean, with with any movie, I'm I tend to whatever I share with my kids, I take it on a case by case thing. So I'll watch it because there's plenty of PG-13 movies I wouldn't want them to watch. So you know, it it is sort of uh, you know as as it comes. However, I I think. I, I wonder of the exact context under which supposedly uh, Tarantino, you know, like wanted a guarantee that it would be R-rated or something like that. I almost feel like uh, it, the, the, the conversation may have been something like, if I want this to be R-rated, can I do that? Like, in other mm-hmm. words, telling Paramount, like, look, if you want a, to use my name, you need to let me make the movie I want to make. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? So, so yeah. I I wonder about that. And and if if you're Paramount, uh, why wouldn't you want Tarantino involved, right? Because I mean, I mean this, and we said this last time. I mean, this is a franchise that, as far as we know, is is either in on life support or in deep freeze, as far as the 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 big screen goes. So why wouldn't you let Tarantino make whatever movie he wants to make? I said last time, I still believe this. I think Tarantino is smart enough that notwithstanding like, Oh, I want it to be R rated. It's not going to be gratuitously profane or, or, or whatever. I mean, I think he knows uh, the, the framework within which he's working, but I'm, 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 you know, there's, there's always possibilities. I'm, I'm willing. Yeah. And just from my perspective, the thing that just immediately jumps out at me about this uh, just on a fundamental level, I certainly don't have any problem with Star Trek being R-rated as long as the story itself justifies it. Yes. Like, uh, I mean, I didn't like A Clockwork Orange until the very last scene when I realized what the point of the movie was. You know, it made everything make sense. It gave everything a purpose. Like, why were you exposed to this blatant brutality from this terrible person? Oh, that's why. Okay, that makes sense. I perfectly understand that now, and now I love that movie. Um this also kind of reminds me of a video game, weirdly enough. A few years ago, Batman Arkham Knight, which is the last chapter in the, the really, really good Batman Arkham video game series developed by Rocksteady, they announced that Arkham Knight was going to have an M rating, which for all intents and purposes is equal to an MPAA R rating as far as content right. is concerned. And so they were turning Batman into an R rated property. But when you actually play the thing, there was only a couple of things that pushed it over into that direction. Right. Like the story itself and its content justified why it got that kind of rating classification so i think esrb is also trash uh, by the way. fair enough yes exactly i think that's <laughs> worth, worth mentioning and cicero would absolutely know that but uh so i'm i'm kind of inclined to look at it again if this comes to pass in a similar light that uh you know as long as the story is good enough and as long as we're getting something that is worthy of the franchise that we all love uh, then rate it whatever you want to. Preferably not NC-17 or unrated on Pornhub. I mean, I don't think I would go that right, far. Right. Uh-huh. But uh, 
but I think uh, I think that there's plenty of room for different interpretations of the franchise, especially from uh, an auteur like Tarantino. Right. Additionally, I'll say that there is a precedent set for uh, R-rated films that are pop culturally relevant, or or mm-hmm. you know um, serve a a kind of geeky niche uh, to do well with an R rating. Well, you know, point right back to Deadpool. Sure. Um, Logan which was, you know, right. Logan, Logan this year was probably, uh, but you know, outside of Get Out, my favorite film this year that, that I saw this this mm-hmm. year. Um, uh, but the most fun was still uh, four. So <laughs> I'll just say that as an aside. Um, but but um, but uh, you know, so I I think that there is definitely room there uh, for an R-rated film in a franchise that people know that would do really well. And and in fact, I think uh, when Rogue One released with a PG-13 rating, that was, that was something of, of a bit of a shock for, um, or at least it made news uh, in the, in the Star Wars, Star Wars. Realm, you know, actually the, uh, the, which, the Star Wars movie that I think turned more heads for its PG 13 rating was revenge of the Sith back yeah. in 2005. That's right. That's right. Uh, Cause that was the, yes, that was yes. the first one. And I remember a lot of people yeah. saying, well, what can justify this? And those of us who had followed the canon knew that uh, Anakin was going to take a lava bath. Right. So right. it was pretty right. easy to determine exactly where that would come from. But no, the point the point is well taken. Uh, I mean, it, that surprise can lend itself to something pretty cool as long as it's handled with care. And uh, yes. hopefully Mr. Tarantino will have enough reverence for Star Trek not to mess it up. Because an R rating by itself, that doesn't mess it up. What messes it up is a bad story. So, uh, well, cool. All right. Well, so... Now, we are going to take our cosmic detour to a galaxy far, far away. We're going to, to uh, briefly become Discovery Debrief, a Star Wars podcast, because while we're <laughs> waiting for, for the next chapter of Star Trek Discovery, a pretty big movie came out, and it's hard for any of us to ignore that. So why don't we dive into the reason for our being here, our debriefing of Ryan Johnson's Star Wars The Last Jedi. Now, for this discussion, Kyle, I want to start with you, because after we had recorded our Chapter 1 recap, you and I and Rachel, and uh, I think I think uh, Cicero was there as well, were off mic and we were talking about the fact that Star Wars was coming up. And I had briefly asked you about it, and you expressed interest in seeing it, but not an abundance of excitement. So tell us where, as a Star Trek and cerebral sci-fi fan, the Star Wars franchise has sat with you, particularly before The Last Jedi came out. Um, Okay. Um, So Star Wars, to me, is a bit of a paradox. And my excitement for it is limited to that paradox. And by the fact that the story never really changes, which is the most unlike, which most unlike Star Trek or basic sci-fi in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, Star, Star Wars is basically a European story about power and nobility. It, it never really spoke to the themes of the American experience of egalitarianism, equality, the struggle of building a new world. Uh, basically, Star Wars is a story about knights fighting other knights over control of the kingdom. 
new possibilities are never considered, new modes of being. All the characters are stuck in a kind of historical repeating loop. It's like Game of Thrones on many levels. And, uh, you know, it's a personal taste. Um, th- those kinds of stories never really appealed to me. But, you know, that being said, I really liked The Last Jedi. Uh, I found it to be a very different film uh, than the previous Star Wars films. Okay, so you reacted positively then. So when it comes to this movie, did it appeal to you in a way that simply other Star Wars movies had not? Or did you maybe even see it as a moderate change in overall tone and execution? Or was it just something entirely different? How did it align with your expectations and ultimately with your perceptions? Uh, well, first of all, I expected nothing. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I don't dislike Star Wars at all, um, but I, I, I don't participate in the drumbeat as the movies come out lately. Just it just feels better walking into a theater that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think the tone of the movie changed. I think the tone was exactly the same as it always has been uh, for a Star Wars film. But the theme was different. The themes of the movie uh, were different than a than any Star Wars movie. And I think that the filmmaking team behind Ryan Johnson were kind of killing two thematic uh, birds with one stone. Uh, they, it, the film, the theme of the film is that the past is dooming the present, that the past is repeating itself, that past actions of iconic characters is creating a cage that is trapping a whole new generation of characters. And I think the way the film story structured and what certain characters did uh, threw off that cage um, or broke out of the cage somehow in a pretty smart way, I think. The film itself is a conversation with Star Wars fans about the state of the franchise, telling it, telling those fans that it has to change. And, you know, we could talk about it some more, but I kind of think it's also a little bit of a commentary on our modern uh, predicament in the West and especially the United States. And I think that that's also very different for a Star Wars film. In my eyes, watching this film, it felt like I was finally being spoken to uh, by the story and by the themes of a Star Wars movie. And that had never happened before. It's like they're talking about the modern American experience where they hadn't been before. That's a wonderful perspective. Well, I'm glad that it was able to finally talk to you. That's uh, must have been quite a revelatory theater experience then if you went in with basic Star Wars expectations and came out with something totally different. That sounds really cool. Uh, all right, well, let's move on. Cicero, you I know were very excited for this new film. So before you tell us what you thought of it, give us a little bit of an idea about what your Star Wars fandom looks like, particularly in comparison with your appreciation for Star Trek. So, um, you know, I was happy that I was able to celebrate another life day by watching a Star Wars film. <laughs> uh, so that that gives you any kind of inclination as to what type of Star Wars fan I am. It, it, so uh, Star Wars for me was the very first nerd thing that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the first thing in my life that spoke to me in a way that I didn't really even understand at that particular moment. Um, it, you know, so I, I, I was, I was one years old when the, when a new hope actually dropped. Um, I've seen every single film in the theater, uh, 
you know, original versions. So obviously I didn't see uh, the 77 film in 77, but I was, I was able to watch it and do remember going, sitting in the theater before seeing empire, mm-hmm. uh, seeing a new hope in the, in the theater. So, and, and, and have seen all of the, those films at least twice in the theater. Every, every single one of, of the, the movies that have, that have released. Um, it is, it is the series that speaks to my inner child that as I've grown to, you know, as I've grown into adulthood, uh, I've still been able to appreciate different nuances from different, different movies. Uh, and, and still to this day, it's, it's has remained a constant in my life. Uh, kind of like the New York Yankees. Um, so <laughs> it is, it is, um, it is very, very, very different in the way that I, like you, like you said, and, and, uh, a great choice of words. Uh, my appreciation for Star Trek is Star Trek speaks to the intellectual in me. And I think it speaks to the intellectual in all of us. And it speaks to, uh, our, as we said in our very first episode, uh, our hopes for the future, um, and w- in a way that Star Wars does not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as Kyle so eloquently said, it is about, uh, it is about like, not necessarily colonialism, but it is it is uh, a a a fight of knights and and you know this this romance of these antiquated themes as opposed to Star Trek uh, showing us themes of things that couldn't you know that can be if we if we uh, you know lead humanity in the right direction and in the right path. Um, but but you know Star Wars definitely speaks to me in that way. Um, the Last Jedi, I've seen twice now. Okay. Uh, I saw it once. Um, I saw it once on Saturday, and then saw it again on Sunday. Um, after I saw it, and now are we are we a spoiler cast or are we? Oh no, we're a spoiler cast. Are you kidding? Oh, all right, right on. In right fact, on. right now is in the edit where I will put the red alert klaxon. So yeah, this, this is going to be all spoilerific. Right. Spoilerific. Okay. <laughs> You have right. you have been warned. Spoilerificness yes. awaits you. Turn your turn your spoiler cloaking device off by turning the uh, the podcast right. off if you do not want to know what happens in Star Wars: <laughs> The Last Jedi. You have been warned. That's all I'm saying. Have, let's let's do it. You have been warned. Um, so I so I went into uh, I so I saw Force the Force Awakens. Uh, huge smile on my face from beginning to end. And it was everything that a Star Wars fan needed. It was everything that Star Wars fandom needed, um, it, you know, to believe that now in the hands of Disney, they can actually make a Star Wars film. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they did. They made episode four all over again, mm-hmm. bigger and better, you know, yeah. and that was fine. And, and, you know, and the thing that I said after episode seven was, all right, now we know they can make a Star Wars film. Now it's time for them to tell their own story, uh, and they and they did so in a, in a very different way with Rogue One. Um, you know, I know that there are people that don't necessarily like that, but but the Last Jedi was completely a departure from from everything else that you had seen before, except for maybe Empire, mm-hmm. um, which is ironically enough right where I rank the Last Jedi. Um, 
With Empire. I thought it with Empire. I thought it was I thought this movie was great. Great, great. I don't know if I love this film yet. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um I've appreciated, you know, uh Empire Empire grew on me like a fine wine. Uh mm-hmm. as a kid, Empire was the movie that I loved the least. Um, because it didn't have a Death Star, it didn't have a trench run, it didn't have Ewoks. Um, you know, it had an awesome snow speeder fight, it had Yoda, but it didn't have those things that seven, eight-year-old, ten-year-old me came to associate with Star Wars. Sure. Uh, but as an adult, I really appreciated Empire. And a friend of mine who hadn't seen the movie asked me what I thought of The Last Jedi, and what I said was that. I really like the film, but I won't know if I love this film until I see the next one. Sure. Where you can put it in context with its trilogy. Exactly. Exactly. Well, yes, not only that, but it's because they went ahead and they, they took all of your toys and they broke them. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. if you were a Star Wars fan, they took all, you know, Han Solo is gone. Luke Skywalker is gone. Princess Leia is gone because she's dead. Like yeah. she's, you know, like they haven't killed her off, which was kind of weird on, in, in the, in the movie, but, but she's gone. She, you won't see her again. So those toys are broken mm-hmm. and they, you know, and they went in and, you know, with a hammer and they just demolished those things and then they steamrolled them and pushed them away and said, you know, you're never going to see them again. Um, and you know, maybe Luke will come back, but, uh, but the point is, this is, you know, we're we're in uncharted territory in in the Star Wars universe and we'll find out if that's a good place to be when they when they now have the freedom of of not being constrained and mm-hmm. actually have the chance to tell a brand new story within within this universe. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a very good way of putting it. It's it definitely changed it upended the table quite a bit. In the context of the of the wider saga, uh, well, let's let's move along to Zaki. Now, Zaki, you've been generally effusive in your praise for the Last Jedi. So, give us an idea of how you view Star Wars at large, and how you approach a new Star Wars film before you see it, and then, of course, dive in with your opinions on the Last Jedi. Well, I think very similar to, to Cicero, uh, you know, Star Wars was my, my first geek love. And, and nowadays, uh, I am such a Star Trek fan that I, I could not pick my favorite of those two. I just I just love them in very different ways. Uh, mm-hmm. However, I mean, it's just something that's been a part of my life since as long as I've been around. You know, my, my brother's five years older than me, so through osmosis you know i was exposed to his star wars figures and everything else uh just from the cradle you know it's it's just something that has been part of my existence uh from the start um when when the prequels came out that was you know that that was a fascinating moment because that's that that was for Star Wars, what to some extent, you know, uh, Star Trek fans experienced in 87, where you start saying, oh, uh, the the universe is continuing on, uh, but it's separate now from the characters that I grew up with. 
mm-hmm. and even even within the the construct of oh, but you know this is like setting up everything that came before. I mean, the the prequels are three movies that are not about Han and Leia and 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 Luke in any substantive way. And and even if you say it's the origin of Darth Vader, it's a completely new scenario. So in other words, the only the only linkage you really have is the word Star and Wars to coming together at the beginning of the 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 the, the film, you know, and that's what you say. Oh, this is part of that universe. <laughs> And so I, I'm somebody who I'm not crazy about the prequels. I don't, I don't hate them. I'm just kind of whatever. I'm like, well, my Star Wars is, is those original three films. So with the sequel trilogy, it, you know, obviously like everyone else, I had the excitement of like, oh, you know, I get to see Han and Luke and everybody come back. But definitely, you know, echoing what Cicero said, like seeing it for the first time, there was definitely that like, oh, okay. Uh, they're they're doing something a little different, and and I think the Last Jedi is sort of it pulls that bandaid off completely in a way that the Force Awakens was more gingerly, gently nudging off. Which is uh, Star Wars is can be about the characters you love, or it can be about the universe you love. It's not always going to be both, and as of now, it's it's not really you know. And and the analogy I've made on my own podcast, which I think. Might, might be appropriate is uh, these new films, this new trilogy is a little bit like, like girl meets world. Mm, yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, like I remember when they first announced girl meets world, cause I'm somebody who grew up watching boy meets yep. world. Like, Oh, it's a sequel show. And it's going to be all about, you know, Corey and Topanga and their daughter and whatever. I'm like, sweet. I love Corey and Topanga. I love Mr. Feeney. I hope we see Eric again. It's gonna be great. You know? And then you watch the first episode of girl meets world. You're like, Hey, look, it's Corey and Topanga. That's great. Oh, and look, there's the daughter. And okay. Oh, and okay. I guess we're following the daughter now. Okay. That's then she's got her friends and okay. That's, that's cool. And Hey, look, Corey and Topanga. Oh, okay. We're back to the daughter. <laughs> and, and you start realizing this isn't going to be about Corey and Topanga. This is about the daughter, and I'd best be okay with that, right? Yeah. And watching Girl Meets World is another show where I was like, I'm not the audience for this, and that's fine. I'll just move on. I've got girl, I've got Boy Meets World, you know. And and that's that's Star Wars now, where it's like, if you're showing up just to see the further adventures of Luke Skywalker and company, sorry, but that's not what this is anymore. And, sure. and yeah. if you're okay with that, that's fine. We got this whole new group of characters. They're 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 fun and interesting. If that's the kind of thing you like, if not, sorry, but but it, that's just not what this is. But but you've got those three movies in the past, and those are great, right? So so I I think that's what this is. Certainly for me, watching this, it was that very stark realization where I was like, yeah, okay, my my Star Wars is done. This Star Wars is something different. That doesn't mean it's better or worse. It's just different. And and I'll I'll echo while slightly changing uh, the metaphor that Cicero was going. I don't think this so much breaks the, those those toys. It it puts them in the little box and it puts them on the top shelf. And it says those are there if you ever want to look at them. Definitely fair. Um, but these these are the ones we're playing with right yeah. now. And th- that's that's uh, that's the way I I see this because I and, and I think literally right because the movie ends with kids playing with Star Wars. That toys. is correct. Yes, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and they're telling the stories. In other words, the stories will never die. Right. You know, right? So, yeah. so yeah, that. that uh, uh, um, sorry, I just yeah. So, so in terms of the Last Jedi, I had a very complicated response to it. Uh, initially, I was like, I liked it. I think, and then the second viewing was really where I was like, I, I loved yes, it. Yes. So, 
that's me. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Chris. No, 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 no. I was just, I think that that's, they, you, the observation is well taken that they definitely push the idea of, well, you know, the future is still wide open. Even though you may have lost some people you love, that doesn't mean that the stories have to go away. Yeah. So, uh, so I think that's well taken. Now, Rachel, your relationship, oh, yeah, 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 I yeah. Read. Your relationship with Star Wars is kind of weird to me, to be honest, <laughs> because you didn't seem to care for them all that much when we met. Then you and I watched the prequels ahead of a Star Wars trivia contest, which we single-handedly won, Marvel. by the way. We were a team of two, and it, there were like five or six other teams of at least four people each. And now, now you won that by yourself. You are I my dr- team. I drank beer and wrote down the answers in my nice handwriting <laughs> for you. <laughs> well, you made them legible. It was perfect. <laughs> but So we won. And then you reabsorbed the original trilogy on your own after that. So the whole event seemed to give you a new appreciation for Star Wars. And you seem to have enjoyed both The Force Awakens and Rogue One. But you also seem kind of angry whenever the Star Wars hype machine kicks up again. With all of that contextual info out of the way, how would you describe your feelings on Star Wars and what was your journey like from anticipation to absorption (laughs) of The Last Jedi? All right, so here are the things I don't like about Star Wars, Chris. Yes. I don't like the merchandising. All right? It is very commercial. There's so much merchandise, and I spend like a few hours a year watching a Star Wars movie, and then... Like, if you mention you like Star Wars, all of a sudden, you own, a like, a Darth Vader toaster. <laughs> and, like, and, like, five Empire ears. Creed. It's just, I, you know, the R2-D2 mouse ears at Disneyland, it's too much. It's too much, and it, it just bothers me. Okay. I, I don't, I don't want to own a bunch of crap for every like <laughs> like like thing that i media that it's, i consume it's, so you okay? don't need an army of porgs now is what you're I, telling please me please do not Space buy me porgs. Porgs. <laughs> <the lunchbox>. right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um i guess i and i don't know how to articulate this super well but i guess i don't really like the part that it's played in a sort of watered down mainstreamification of geek culture for everyone Mm -hmm. which is good in some ways but in some ways i feel like it's like like weirdly like appropriative i don't like (laughs) and i don't know how to like explain that how my feeling why i'm uncomfortable with that but it's just it's kind of like you let me let me try let me take a crack at it the jock like people who made fun of people like me in high school for watching star trek have now appropriated a semblance of geek culture through the accessibility of star wars is that a fair characterization not star wars itself this this really mel like i don't want to blame star wars for this because it's really the big bang theory's fault <laughs> okay yeah um, this is true but like i have just weird feelings about this like people who I, i'm not sure really knows know what it's like to be really obsessed with something mm-hmm being like i'm such a geek and it's like oh, okay i mean just you know everybody likes stuff <laughs> yeah um so there's that and then i the third thing i don't like i guess is the um almost as a sort of a 
entitled fandom that grows up around it but this is present in everything nowadays and it's kind of like a like oh george lucas raped my childhood because of the prequels and (laughs) it's like you know nobody like owes you stuff like they don't owe you movies (laughs) like you get the movies you get and when they're good celebrate and when they're bad just be like i don't like that and walk away what a (laughs) and and so i i think maybe the popularity of star wars just sort of exaggerates all of these things that are present in any franchise and 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 makes me frustrated so those are all external factors though that that being said every star wars movie i have ever watched has made me feel good (laughs) and i have enjoyed um including the prequels Mm -hmm. uh although less so than the original trilogy right. sure and so um i i think that when when i watch a movie there's sort of like two thought processes going on and it's i have this like emotional reaction i'm sure this is true for everyone but i have an emotional reaction that's really like my like lizard brain or like my inside like monkey brain making a a, a decision about how it feels about this movie and then i'm like oh i like it or i hate it and then like my logical brain comes in as like, all right, why is that? And and tries to like put all these reasons on top of things. And so I think that my my monkey brain has liked every Star Wars. And it liked The Force Awakens because that monkey brain really likes things that are familiar. Mm-hmm. Okay. But my monkey brain really, really liked The Last <laughs> Jedi. Like a lot. And so now I have to do like this sort of like forensic like excavation of my thought process to be like, why did this connect with me on such an emotional level and the way that the other films maybe didn't. And I think that, I mean, it it just, it just had to do with how it reflected kind of some of the politics of our times in a a way and that it's like a group of like really talented smart diverse people facing off against impossible odds against like these mediocre nazis (laughs) that like aren't very good (laughs) at their jobs and like i'm like i feel that and i you know, I connected with the characters in the resistance and feeling hopeless all the time, but just trying to be just still trying to do the right thing. And, um, I, and I think that's just, that's what I needed to see in 2017. And, and that's why I connected with it in such a way that I, on an emotional level, in a way that I don't think I connected with. That's, that's where I'm at with it. And, and I guess the whole thing with the, like the having an emotional response and having to justify your emotional response by your, you know, your frontal cortex coming up with all these reasons why you're feeling that I have to assume other people are having a similar sort of thing. And so, so when, when people come back with this, well, I didn't like it. And then here's a list of all of these like logical flaws in the plot of why I didn't like it. I have to be like, it, is that really why you didn't like it or is that the explanation you're coming up for your emotional monkey brain was like oh this is unfamiliar or like this wasn't <laughs> what i was expecting and i'm gonna come up with all these reasons of why you know what was wrong with it right. so i i you know i have to interpret other people's responses through my own response in that way mm-hmm. so i'm very suspicious of people who don't like it <laughs> i don't think they're telling the truth about why <laughs> 
Well, I mean, because uh, I've I've been observing the the general chatter surrounding this movie <sighs> since it dropped last week. Holy and moly! And it seems like, well, yeah, yeah. I think you know where I'm probably going with. I the the criticisms I've seen have not centered on here are logical problems of the plot. It's mostly been centered on this is not the Luke Skywalker right. that I yes. know. Like that's where it seems yes. a significant amount of the uh, the backlash is coming from. Uh, as for me, uh, the the immediate word that comes to mind for this movie is evolution. Mm. I, I've been a Star Wars fan, similarly to you guys, uh, for virtually as long as I can remember. I think I actually did get exposed to Star Trek mm. first. But if you're a kid, especially a kid in the 90s when Star Trek is starting, or, bleh, I'm probably going to do that a lot, by the way. When Star Wars is starting to come back in a very significant way. I mean, those Power of the Force figures hit when I was in second grade, and it was like the perfect possible time, which I guess goes back to the commercialization of Star Wars, but that was my in. But it's different when it's toys for kids. I, well, I right, think, yeah. I they were still, they were, they were yeah, well, never I, really I, toys for kids. Yes, yes. We draw the line. They, at were, they, were, always, <laughs> they were always toys for, yeah, you, for middle-aged adults. That kids could play with. You saw that SNL sketch back right. when Force Awakens exactly. came out. I'm sure, right? Like, hey, oh, you can leave right. them in the box, right. you know, and all that. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I specifically remember when I was in second grade. For some reason, my family and I were up in uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, because I live like five minutes from the Canadian border. We were up there, I think, Christmas shopping, and uh, they had for forty nine ninety nine, which when you're in second grade and in the nineties seems like I don't know right, a mint, right. right? And it was it was the Millennium Falcon playset, oh. and wanted it so badly, so badly. And we get home, and all of a sudden, my dad pulls this giant bag, and there's oh. the Millennium Falcon. Wow. And I had like four or five dollars in my pocket, and I was like, "Here, take it all, <laughs> take it all." <laughs> recompense for getting the millennium falcon but so i I mean i've been a very big star wars fan for as long as i can remember i mean i commune with my friends about it it was a great thing to talk about at school and of course the actual experience of watching the movies when you're a kid is wonderful i mean my first exposure to the original trilogy was when the special editions were re-released in 1997 so, I mean, maybe as a consequence, I don't have as much hate for the special editions as much as some other people do, because that was what I watched in the theater. But, um, I mean, I like Star Trek more. I can say that with certainty nowadays. In the end, I think the idea that Star Trek is us is pivotal to my own connection to it. You know, it's supposed to be our future. So, at the end of the day, this is how I put it. From the University of Nerd Cred, UNC, class of 2013... I consider myself as having a PhD in the likes of DC Comics and Star Trek <laughs> and more of a master's in something like Marvel and Star Wars, which I guess makes it a master's in yeah. Disney nowadays. <laughs> wow. But, but um, I mean, it has everything that I love about fantasy and throws it into space. And I find the story of Darth Vader specifically, uh, and including the prequels and the Clone Wars, by the way, to be very, very compelling. But, um, and, you know, I shared with you guys a piece that I had written that hopefully will be live by the time the show goes live about why I think Star Trek has informed my genuine love for The Last Jedi. And I've only seen it once, but it was enough for me to realize that, holy hell, this is a special movie, especially in in place of this 
huge popular culture juggernaut of a franchise, but Star Trek and its constant pace of change and reflexiveness, I think better prepared me for The Last Jedi when compared with a lot of other fellow giant Star Wars fans. It seems that the ones that this movie is pissed off or disappointed the most are the biggest, most died-in-the-wool fans of the franchise and its universe. And, you know, at times I consider myself to be part of that fraternity, but I shared, you know, the, the piece that I shared with you guys, it, it was about how my acclamation to a constantly evolving franchise in Star Trek made me really love the chances and the risks that The Last Jedi took. Change is built into the DNA of Star Trek, and it's never been a substantive part of Star Wars. I mean, we've been talking about our familiarity with it and our nostalgia for it, except for <laughs> Kyle. But <laughs> most of us have, have been talking about you know, the fact that we have these warm feelings about the series that extends back to when we were we were small and the last jedi completely upends the table so trek gave me the adaptability to see changes because star trek has changed right. so much over 50 years and i think that's why i can roll with the crazy twists and turns that the last jedi threw at me so i loved this movie i i really did i mean i can't wait to see it again i'm going to see it next week in uh, washington state with my family with my little nieces and nephew little my oldest niece is four is 13 now but uh i'm really looking forward to seeing it again because it was that first impression that was so strong with me about it to me it was it was ludicrous how much better it was than the force awakens because especially in hindsight the force awakens was yeah. so safe yeah. And so, and, and deliberately right. so, right? You know? Exactly, yeah, and 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 predictable, uh, frankly, to a degree. And Last Jedi was none of those things, and that's I think that's why I loved it so much. So, let's move on to another question because there's so much to chew on with this movie, and uh, you know I I don't want to go too deeply into the specifics of everything because it's a very broad topic. But what do you guys think is a core fundamental element? that sets The Last Jedi apart from the other films? Is it an idea? Is it the execution of the plot? Are the characters substantially different? Cicero, why don't you start us off? You know, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a curveball in this uh, by saying that The Last Jedi isn't fundamentally different from, from the other films uh, in so much that it is very much tonally like Empire Strikes Back. Um, and, and this is why, because from, from a new hope to empire, we had a continuation of the story, but the, but the arc that it took was a much more serious one. Uh, the tones were darker, uh, things were happening in that, in that movie that you couldn't really anticipate. You didn't know where it was going to go. Uh, and then you got one of the, one of the greatest, uh, reveals and, and, uh, you know, not necessarily cliffhangers, but just, you know, uh, HFS moments in, in all of cinema when, when Darth Vader reveals who he is, uh, mm -hmm. to Luke Skywalker. Um, and, and so, you know, all of those things and you know, in concert really, you know, set that movie apart. And I think that The Last Jedi did very similar things. And I think it evoked, very similar feelings uh, for people, uh, or at least at least in my eye, um, and and I think that thematically it also 
borrowed from Empire. Um, we've got a a snowspeeder esque battle with trenches um, against Adats. So no, I mean, true. you know, so those those things those things definitely do happen. Um, but again, I think that what it did was, and it and it kind of really hit you over the head with with, and you you explained it, and Kyle explained it as well that that this is not, and and Zachy too, that this is not the Star Wars that you remember. Um, that stuff has to go away in order for this to live, in order for Star Wars, you know, a, as a Disney property. To live, you know, in order for Disney to pump out movie after movie after movie after movie after movie year in and year out, uh, the the old the old guard has to go away, and we just have to live in this universe, and we have to allow them to tell stories within this universe, and we have to be able to say that uh, Jedi's are important, Sith are important, uh, but not as important as you think it's think it is um in fact the other thing that you have to think about is skywalkers aren't important um you know so we we've had nine films in this franchise there's been a skywalker in every single one of those films the next film that comes out will not have one and and you know i don't know if anyone's really thought about that but but that's that's it'll have it'll have somebody uh, of the Skywalker bloodline, if not with the name. Uh, well, that depends on who you think Ray is. Well, I mean, I mean Kylo Ren. Kylo Ren. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's true. That's true. That's yeah. that is true. I, I I keep forgetting about uh, emo emo Skywalker emo. <laughs> 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 but but uh, yeah, so there so there is there there will still be a Skywalker, but but uh, the Skywalkers have all been protagonists. Yeah. Um, you know, even even before his heel turn or even even after his heel turn, Anakin in, in Revenge of the Sith was still a sympathetic character. Um and 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 maybe we'll start to see that in Ben Solo come you know, come this good because he's, you know, clearly a conflicted character. Um, you know, and maybe we'll see that in whatever the next film is. Um, but but uh, like everything's different now, you know, everything's different. You know, my juice box, I've got the ecto cooler and it's got question marks on it. And I have no idea what the flavor is going to be. <laughs> that's a, that's a very good way of putting it. Kyle, what do you think is the defining aspect of the last Jedi that sets it apart? Um, as was just mentioned, I don't think the tone, uh, changed all that much. In fact, I think, uh, I think what sets this film apart is that it's uh, a conversation uh, with Star Wars fans. It's a it's the first Star Wars film that is necessarily critical of what Star Wars is, mm -hmm. but you don't really get a set. You don't you're not being violently bashed over the head with it because the tone never changed. Like it's the same editing style and transitions, transition wipes, and like uh, dolly in on people's dramatic faces. If I see one more dolly, I was going <laughs> to. Everyone got like three dolly into their, into their nose. You know? But I think, I think what sets this film apart is that it's a frank conversation with the hardcore fan about what Star Wars needs to be going forward. And, you know, I think this is the first Star Wars film that actually speaks to modern audiences beyond, 
you know, a good, good yarn, a good story beyond popcorn entertainment and a lavish love affair with old European modes of thinking. Uh, I know that's a heavy bag to, to set back in the conversation again, but you know, the Star Wars universe is a, a European story. Important characters are religious icons, priests, lords, princesses, knights. Only characters with special powers or special statuses are able to make society effectively or effectively change the world. Uh, you know, poor people, serfs, farmers have no recourse for activity. They can only suffer in this galaxy. Mm-hmm. Overall, that's true. Uh, but this film shows us that regular people can have effective power over their circumstances and that those regular people aren't perfect too. You know, Ray is of the lowest birth. Finn was set to abandon the resistance for personal reasons. Right. Uh, the mechanic Rose was right. her name, yes. right? Yes. I, I loved her. Yeah. I thought she was really fun. Uh, and she was sort of a meta commentary herself. Like she, when you first see her, she was sort of like meeting a celebrity. The film is excusing its noble birth in a sense. And even through Luke, uh, Luke himself finds a reason to, to cast off his noble birth. And that his status as an icon is getting in the way of, of what's happening with, with everyone's story. So in a way, I think, I think this film is wildly different, you know, outside of tone than previous Star Wars films, precisely because it recaptures this American spirit uh, that the Empire Strikes Back managed to erase in that, that Luke was just a simple farm boy that turned out to be a kind of royalty, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a very excellent way of putting it. Zaki, the defining aspect for you that sets The Last Jedi apart? Well, it's it's right there in the dialogue, and it comes from Kylo Ren of all people, right? Let the past die, right. kill it if you have to, mm-hmm. and and in, obviously that's in the context of of this emo Sith Lord wannabe. So so caveat emptor, but I I think <laughs> I, I mean I think what I've said is that it uh, it preserves the original incarnation of star Wars by breaking the mold. And, and I think that what this film really is, is a victim of to whatever extent we have sort of the angry internet contingent is, you know, 30 plus years of expectations of what's going to happen when we see Luke Skywalker get a lightsaber in his hand. And I can guarantee you that to the one, nobody thought, he would not even look at it and toss it over his shoulder. Um, yeah, that was so when, perfect. That when was he, so yeah, perfect. And, and so that's – the reaction to just that has been so fascinating. Luke Skywalker would never do that. And why? Just because did. he's been – he just did, right? And that's exactly – I mean, you know, I, I made the, the analogy about Star Trek where, hey, you can say you don't like mint chocolate chip. That doesn't make it not ice cream. Right. You know? Yep. Uh, It's just as applicable here. Well, guess what? Star Wars is what the people who own Star Wars say it is. You can say you don't like it or not. But the difference with Star Trek and this is – I was just thinking about this. I I remember when when the book – when the comic book Dark Empire was released. Sure. Back in 1991, and that was right around the same time, if not the same month, that uh, uh, Star Trek VI came out. Uh, in the theaters. And mm-hmm. I love the juxtaposition where we have Star Trek six, which is explicitly about these older characters have done their time. They've done their bit for King and country. 
it's time for them to go. That's what Star Trek VI is about. Meanwhile, Dark Empire, along with the Heir to the Empire trilogy, what did that do? It took Han and Leia and everything else, and it preserved them in amber for 20-plus years. Yeah. Yeah. So in other words, we had we had 20 years of Star Wars canon that went in every direction, but there were three pillars that we knew could never change. Nothing would ever happen to Han Solo, Princess Leia, or Luke Skywalker. We knew it. We just knew it right. in every fiber of our being. And had there not been this sequel trilogy, that would still be the case. Right. Yeah. And now I'm not somebody who really followed the expanded universe. I knew of it in, in a very broad sense. But if you're somebody who did, that's a hard transition to make. I am someone who did. Yeah. And and so Cicero, I mean, you tell me that would have been an adjustment. Yeah. So it, it, it I mean, it definitely was, uh, you know, for, from, there are some brilliant, brilliantly written books within the expanded universe. And, and, you know, for those of you who, who did read them or who haven't, uh, there were, uh, Han Solo and, and, uh, and, and Princess Leia had three children. Um, and, and, uh, Chewbacca wound up getting killed. One of the, one of the, the third, the youngest child, Anakin Solo, uh, died at the hands of a, of a villain. Um, the oldest son became essentially de facto Darth Vader. Um, yeah. and became, you know, the, the villain. Um, and, and took as his apprentice, Luke Skywalker's son, um, so named Ben, ironically enough. So, right. um, So it was like all of those things happened, but the one constant was always that, you know, with all of these people dying, Chewbacca was dead. All of these people dying. The one thing that you never worried about was that. Han Solo, Princess Leia, yeah. or Luke Skywalker would be killed. They would die exactly. eventually, you know, because everyone has to die. They die of old age, but they would yeah. never be murdered. Um, right. And, and, you know, or, or and, their death would not be something we would have to experience. That is correct. That is correct. Um, that is correct. And, and, you know, and now we've, we've experienced two of the three. Um, yeah. and, and, and will by the time the next movie, releases experience the third um yeah you know yeah. however they explain that and and you know it's uh sorry i don't mean to monopolize the time but just just to just to put a pin on my point that certainly for me i'm i'm just i know that okay well star wars is moving on but having to go through what cicero just said having to experience the loss of these characters you realize how much value we give to these fictional characters, right. because I'll tell you something: when 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 I watched Han Solo die in in The Force Awakens, I was grappling with yeah. that for yeah. about ten hours. I was yeah. like, I I was you know yeah. seeing a friend die so horribly. Right. Yeah. And then, and then sure. this time, um, I, I mentioned this on my other show, but the the second time I watched it, because the first time I was I was just uh, figuring it out as I was as I was experiencing it, The Last Jedi. The second time I watched Luke Skywalker fade away. And just tears started flowing down my cheek yeah. Um, yeah. because I had just said goodbye to one of my closest friends, you know? Yeah. And and I well, remember being a little kid and crying when Captain Kirk died too. So, 
you know. Hey, I I I just try and avoid that in general. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I actually he, <laughs> Captain Kirk was killed by part. a bridge. Yeah. The bridge on the captain. Captain Kirk. <laughs> Come on, man. You're really uh, gonna make a postmodern joke at the <laughs> That's the moment, really. <laughs> Well, uh, but before I hand it off to Rachel, one idea that I wanted to introduce because I read in, uh, an interview with Ryan Johnson and he directly designed Luke's, I guess you could call it death, but Luke's fade away yeah. as a direct contrast to what happened to Han. Han right. died violently in defeat. Right. Hmm. Luke died peacefully in victory. Mm, nice. And I thought that that was a pretty, a, a pretty nice connection to make. But Rachel, the thing to you that sets The Last Jedi apart and what's your take on all of this? Uh, I think the thing that set it apart is um, like meatiness is <laughs> the, the adjective I want to use. Um, I, I think that every other Star Wars movie I've watched and I've absorbed it and then I've walked away from it mentally and the last jedi i've stayed with for the past few days and i've been thinking about it and i've been mulling it over and you know asking myself questions about what are they going to do with this how are they going to follow that up and and so i think that's what sets it apart for me but overall i don't i don't think it's completely you know like like others have said it's the tone is really similar mm-hmm. and I, I you know while i was watching it i remember thinking this is must this must be what it felt like when people saw the Empire Strikes Back yeah. for the first mm-hmm. time. Wow. Yes. Because like you can't you can't have like a a Luke I am your father moment now because everybody's expecting it. So what did they do to give us that feeling to give us that oh my god it was so well raised parents are no one. Right. Mm-hmm. Like right. and yeah. that and I was like wow like and whoa. To, to give further context <laughs> to that in another part of the interview with Johnson, he said that was the intent was yeah. to mirror that All moment. Because right. yeah. you can't you're right. You can't give it that same kind of weight, but he understood, okay, what is the one, and this is what he said. I'm, this is not my idea. This is what he said. What is the one thing that Ray does not need to hear? Because I am your father was the thing that Luke did not need to hear in that moment. So he wanted to give that to Ray. Right. Yeah. And I think that it had, you know, probably the same sort of, feeling to like oh my gosh like that can't be true and (laughs) like that's how i felt i was like oh my god like is that true is he lying and Mm -hmm. you know so um i i am thankful to the last jedi for letting me feel what it was like to see empire strikes back for the first time because (laughs) i came out before i was born yep fair enough very good well um as far as what i think sets it apart weirdly enough uh i don't know if anyone might think that this is a viable answer at all, but to me, it's Yoda. Mm. Um, <laughs> and the reason that it's Yoda, I mean, first of all, you know, I've been reading Ryan Johnson interviews all day, but he did talk about this. That is a puppet. Right. And yeah. they painstakingly attempted to recreate the original puppet from The Empire Strikes Back, since for all intents and purposes, that was where we last left him in the chronology. So. That's the version of Yoda that Luke made the emotional connection with. So that's the version of the character that needed to to come back. And Frank Oz's vocal performance was not the same as the prequels. He definitely put a little bit more of a tenor in there like he did in the original trilogy. Right. But um, 
I thought that the theme of letting go that dominated everything, whether it's Luke saying that the hubris of the Jedi requires me to requires the line to die with me. I thought that it was very, very potent for Yoda to be the entity that basically tells Luke, you're right. You're, you're not quite right in the way you think you are, but you are right. And it even ties back to revenge of the Sith. I mean, what's the one thing that Yoda warned Anakin Skywalker about at the beginning of that movie. It was attachment. He said, train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. And who's the one person or the one entity, I guess, that lights that tree up when Luke is hesitating, actually literally burning the legacy of the Jedi down? It's Yoda. And I loved that. I mean, Yoda's already one of my favorite characters in the saga, but on a thematic level, I thought that was so appropriate. And it just gives purpose to the idea of evolution, but not in a curmudgeonly way like Luke was pushing forward for the entire movie, but in a way to set you free from expectation and set you free from, uh, I guess, a predestination. And that's when the movie really came together for me. I went into it thinking... Okay, if it, if this movie kills Luke Skywalker, I'm going to absolutely hate right. it because Luke is he's he's my guy. I mean, he was a point of identification with the entire saga, right. including the prequels. Even though we only saw him as a baby briefly in Episode Three, but Luke Skywalker was the one in my brain. Right. Except if the movie was going to earn the passage of Luke Skywalker, and I think that it did. I, I really wasn't sure that that was going to be something I would be able to swallow at all. But also considering that we saw Yoda, I'm reasonably sure we're going to see Luke sure. again in some yeah, way. So. Uh, and that, that's perfectly possible. So, And, and, and Chris, by, by the way, I, I think that the fact that we see Yoda as a force ghost exert this kind of power we've never seen from the afterlife, right. I think yes. that gives us some indication of perhaps what we might expect from force ghost Luke. Sure. Yeah. I, I mean, if, if they can actually affect the environments around them, then... Well, you know, now that I think about it, we got a hint that they that Force Ghost can do something in The Empire Strikes Back when Obi-Wan tells Luke, I cannot interfere hmm. in your fight with Darth right. Vader. So, but we, we never saw that. You know, we never saw what that looked like. And now we actually do see what right. that looks like. So, who knows what kind of power Luke is going to be able to exhibit as one with the force. But, you know, I'm really intrigued, Kyle, in your idea about how this is a mirror of European society, because, I mean, I'm certainly not a, uh, a student of European history or even, I mean, the connection that I had always made to history, I guess, was more feudal Japan than Europe. But, mm. uh, but I'm really intrigued by this idea. I know that Rachel generally likes absorbing information about British history, but there's any history. I'm just into British history right now. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, fair enough. But uh, do you think that the, the idea that you expressed about uh, attaching to a form of European history is something that can sustain Star Wars into episode nine or maybe even beyond that? We know that Ryan Johnson is making his own trilogy, but is that an, a deep enough thematic well uh, to potentially satisfy you going forward? Uh, satisfy me personally? Um, I mean, sure. It just depends on how they, I mean, how, how well it's executed. I mean, I, I say that as a dismissive thing, uh, but it, that trope, that well, 
uh, is deep enough to sustain all of the Star Wars we've seen before. And it's all sure. been really good, uh, you know, prequels notwithstanding or whatnot. <laughs> but um, they and the prequels were kind of off that uh, off that paradigm a little bit. But uh, I, there's there's plenty. I mean, most of the stories uh, that we tell each other nowadays uh, has a kind of mythological or psychological European bent. And uh, that's just by necessity of who most of us are and the society that developed out of colonialism. The well is plenty deep enough, I think. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just really excited that they've changed uh, just enough to add new blood to the storytelling, uh, I guess, delivery for this new Star Wars film. I think that the next next film will probably dig a little deeper into that. Because you think about the resistance as it is right now, it's been completely decimated, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The theme of the film is that the past must die. Kill it if you have to. Well, the resistance is effectively right. dead. Yeah, they're gonna have to rebuild that from square one. Well, meanwhile, the first order is still. I mean, it, it wants to be the old empire. It's still parading around in the old empire's clothes, and they're gonna get as much mileage as they as they can out of that. But the resistance has to completely rebuild itself. Are they gonna go with the old school model? Are they gonna try something different? I bet money. The most shocking thing about the next film. Uh, n- outside of any personal revelations is that the resistance is going to take a vastly new track to what they're doing. And that'll be a lot of fun to watch. Too bad they can't uh, teleport Kira Norris in there for some pointers, right? <laughs> but, uh, oh man. <laughs> get some, get some Bajoran terror cells going for the resistance. Well, yeah, I mean, so yeah, so I think some of that was, you definitely got to see some of that in rogue one, uh, with a lot of, a lot of guerrilla warfare. Um, mm-hmm. and, so it is it, it is activity that the rebellion has exhibited right. in the right. past or at least a forerunner to the well, current yeah rebellion. or a a sect of the rebellion um run by Saul Guerrero that was he was definitely right. yeah. a more radicalized version of the rebellion cool yeah. character yeah. and they explored him a little mm-hmm. bit deeper on uh on yes. rebels and you even saw his first appearances he learned guerrilla warfare tactics from Anakin Skywalker and Obi-Wan yeah. Kenobi which I thought was really cool yeah. but uh well why don't we wind this down a little bit because there's one element that I really want to get everybody's uh get a, a, attention on and that is all of the stuff that we learned or maybe didn't learn about the opposition uh i mean ray and her training with luke was revelatory but I don't think that was the most surprising stuff that this movie had to offer. I mean, it was cool seeing snooty Luke <laughs> begrudgingly train Ray, And I actually got a little bit of a thrill hearing Luke Skywalker actually say the words Darth Sidious. Right. But um, really, the thing that shocks me the most about this movie and makes me so engaged in it is how they turned Kylo Ren from, for all intents and purposes, a Darth Vader wannabe who was in the shadow of his grandfather and made him into something an entirely new monster that is virtually entirely unique in the pantheon of the Star Wars saga at least from from my perspective so and and also the stuff that comes with that with uh, with supreme leader snoke so zaki when it comes to actually making more unique roles making more unique characters for this iteration of the franchise do you think the last Jedi succeeds, and is there any particular example that reinforces your point? Well, I think I think so much of it is about about breaking uh, 
the, the the chains of expectation. And I mean, we see that with with Leader Snoke, where so much of the conversation between the last movie and this one was, oh, what's his deal? Oh, is he, you know, uh, uh, Darth Plagueis, and like all the fan theories, right? And and mm-hmm. ultimately, you realize, well, all we can we can. Uh, we can uh, yeah, hypothesize about who he is, but uh, what is he at the end of the day? He's he's like a like a, a Palpatine knockoff, right? And we, yeah. I mean, we see that in in that terrific scene in his throne room. I mean, he's just doing he's like he he's he's doing Palpatine two point dialogue, and and so I love the fact that the, the Ryan Johnson his, his whole modus operandi here is like you know what you're expecting this to go a certain way and like luke says this isn't going to go the way you think <laughs> okay we we just did the 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 return of the jedi ending halfway through the empire strikes back right. now what <laughs> right and not just yeah. you know and 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 so i i really i i love that because because even me like i was like i was like well we're going to have to deal with Snoke through the next one. And then some like, I, you know what I mean? I was like, yeah. I'm, I was, in other words, I was like making my own little theories, but I still in, in a broad sense, I was still functioning under the, the, the quote unquote star Wars structure. Sure. And, and so, you know, this movie ends and you're like, I got nothing. Like it's, it's not even <laughs> like, well, maybe, you know, cause when force awakens ends, you're like, well, maybe Luke is going to join these people. Maybe they'll do, maybe they'll do like, you still have kind of a, a, a general sense of what may happen here. It's like, I don't know who's going to be around. I don't know who the villains are. I don't know. I know absolutely nothing. And boy, I love it, but I can see how people would have a tough time with that. I'm not in any way discounting that sense of not knowing what the hell is going to happen because, because what, what have we talked about so much throughout this conversation? Familiarity, nostalgia. I mean, it's a hell of a drug, right? Yeah. Oh, no kidding. No kidding you know? at all. Now that being said, one thing I did want to point out, and I think this is somebody pointed this out online and, and I want to give him credit. It's, it's Michael Jamarino. I, I hope I'm saying his name right, but he talked about the little boy at the, at the end of the movie mm-hmm. who essentially serves as the final shot. Um, who who is you know the 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 force sensitive child looking to the sky, and and he said I don't find it coincidental that we're on this planet where there's there's races and gambling going on, and you have this slave kid who is force sensitive, yeah, and he's looking towards an uncertain future. It's like you know it's poetry, it rhymes, and who what does the future hold for this boy? Mm-hmm. I I love the poetry of that. There's something about this boy, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, think about it, right? Because when you when you really think about it, Anakin, if Qui Gon Jinn had not entered Anakin's life, he'd probably have been fine, and the universe probably would have been fine too. <laughs> you know? So, what is the future like for this kid without a Jedi Order? Right. The the hubris that uh, that led to the fall of the Jedi would never yeah. have happened. I mean, Luke's whole problem. I mean, Luke probably wouldn't have been alive either right. if that had come right. to pass. But That's hey, true. you know. Uh, that that leads me to an opinion I've had about the Star Wars franchise. It it's probably unpopular, and I'll just drop it and let you guys chew on it if you want. But but I, but I think the true villain of the franchise yeah. is Ooh. the Force. Oh, interesting. Get in your bomb shelters. He right. just dropped one. Right. <laughs> um, yeah. So I I don't know if the Force is the villain, but it is. There there definitely does. Uh, there is uh, meat on the hubris of the Jedi bone. Um, because I mean, it was the question that I asked at the moment in, in episode one, if 
the prophecy is that Anakin's going to bring bring balance to the force. And everyone that is force sensitive now is using the light side of the force. Doesn't that mean that he's his balance will bring darkness to the force? Like, you know, like why why is he going to be the one that brings balance? Well, Cicero, the uh, the balance of the force, you are going to bring up an entirely new trap of continuity <laughs> if we go down that road. I tell you what. But suffice it to say that when that was addressed in, uh, in Clone Wars, balance was referred to as uh, only light. Dark did not enter the equation of balance. Yeah. It was dark that threw balance off. Mm. But... I don't know how much I subscribe to that yeah. personally, but I am very intrigued. Kyle, you're going to have to explain that a little bit more. Uh, the, 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 the force yeah. is the true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, <laughs> um, you just mentioned that uh, if Qui-Gon Jinn hadn't found Anakin Skywalker, that he'd probably be fine. He might have some pretty epic tantrums, <laughs> but he wouldn't have been drawn into like this geopolitical, uh, you know, cluster. Um the same with any of those characters, right? Once they get organized and religious about uh, applying their powers and messing with the Force, like each successive generation falls prey to the same kind of predestined chaos and violence, right? The Knights of the Order have to defend their side. Uh, the Dark Side has to somehow circumvent the light to take control of everything. And, and like, it doesn't, if you fast forward 10 generations and you still have the same religious aspect to the force, then you, it doesn't, it doesn't really matter who the characters are. You can imagine what the dark side's going to do. You can imagine what the light side's going to do. When I saw the trailer for this movie and Luke Skywalker was saying that, you know, the Jedi must die. I was like, that is intriguing because he's trying to break the cycle. Yes which is what I was hoping. And he exiled himself to that island in Ireland. <clears throat> he, um, I, I thought that's what he was trying to do. He's like, the problem is that people keep falling into the same roles. If I die alone and don't mess with anybody, maybe I can break the cycle. Mm -hmm. uh, but it wasn't quite that since Kylo Ren was still in the universe. Yeah. But I think as long as people apply themselves to the force, the same battle is going to be fought across time in this universe. Kind of like the uh, the versions of the Matrix that persisted, six versions. Everyone has a yeah. role to play. Right. right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. All right. So I've got a couple of points. If you guys will allow me, of course. All right. So so the first is, I just want to talk about how, uh, you know, and we it, it, it's been talked about ad nauseum um, all over the place, both in, as a positive and, a, and and as a kind of a pejorative, but just how unpredictable this film was. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it's, it starts off right off the bat. Uh, these guys, you think everything is rote. The, the first order comes in. The, uh, resistance is escaping. They shoot out to light speed. They get away and you're thinking, all right, the next 20 minutes is going to be about them trying to establish a new base of operations. And within five minutes, you find out, oh, that's not what's happening. The first order has followed them through uh, light speed, so now they've got the the slowest chase scene ever. Mm -hmm. um, so, so you know, so, like so. Okay, so that's the first thing that you've got. Then the the second part of that is, oh, hey, we've got this idea for 
you know, how we're going to break through this blockade basically and, and escape Finn and the new character Rose and, and uh, Poe, we've come up with this great idea. We've talked to Maz Kanata and she's got a person who's a gambler and is, you know, is, a, you know, he's a jack of all trades. The and, master code breaker. Right. He's a master code breaker and he's a master at other things too. Born <laughs> chicken, wow, wow. <laughs> and, and, you know, and he's wearing a rose brooch and you're like, well, I, you know, I don't know if you guys are like me, but a, a little sly smile creeped up in my face on my face because I mean, who is, who is the roguest of all the rogues that charms everyone who can do it all? But one, you know, the one and only Lando Calrissian, uh, right? Yeah. So, so you know, they're going to a casino, looking for a guy who's always gambling because he's got lots of money. It has to be Lando, right? And we get there, and it's some random dude, and you're <laughs> like, "Who's this dude? That's not Lando." And then you know, so so the so that expectation is out the water. Then they come back, and that whole plan didn't even work. Yeah. So, you know, like, and, you know, and then you've got, you've got Luke playing Yoda for Ray playing Luke in Empire. And that doesn't go according to plan. So, like, nothing is going according to what you think or how you think uh, Star Wars is supposed to work and, you know, based on all of the, the different versions that you've seen. Well, and on top of that, too, and, you know, t- please jump in if you if you wanted to challenge this, but it seems like this is the first Star Wars movie that tries to contend that the the sides you can take are not binary. And I right. think Benicio del Toro's right. character is a full on representation of that, right? I mean, previously right. in Star Wars, you're light or dark, you're good or bad. And now except except for the television stuff, I think I think back to Clone Wars oh, sure. and Rebels, where where you've got uh I can't think of the bounty hunter's name, or he's kind of like a smuggler uh who plays both sides freely. Was that Cad Bane? The Blues Cad Bane. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And that's the, that's well taken too. But I mean, at least in the movies. Sure. I mean, when you see Benicio bring up the uh, the manifest from the arms dealer, the ship that they uh, right. that they stole. Oh, right. looks like he's selling to the bad guys. Oh, <gasps> and the good guys. You know, and it it actually plays with those expectations in a way that I thought was actually pretty refreshing, right. considering that we were watching a Star Wars movie. Right. Right. Uh, so the 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 another point I want to make in that vein is about Kylo Ren, um, you know Ben Solo, um, which I don't know which name he's going to go by uh, going forward. But Ben Ren, see, it's right, it's ben right there, Ren, right? Uh, Kylo Solo. Uh, so <laughs> he, so he when he kills his master, you're expecting a full face turn. Uh, you know, and and they're fighting together, and and you know they're doing, their uh, him and Ray are are, you know, fighting the good fight, and th- then he turns on Ray, and and you know, and you talked about him being this new kind of monster. I don't, you know, I'm not so sure that that's what we're gonna get here. I think that instead of getting an anti-hero, I think that Kylo Ren, Ben Solo, Kylo Solo, 
<laughs> Ben Ren may, may actually be something new, um, an anti-villain. If mm-hmm. that's you know, if that's such a thing, where uh, you know, he's got an idea of what things, how things should be, but it may not be the same ideas that Snoke had. It may not be the same, the classic ideas of what the Empire is. Um, it's there. We don't know, but I think I think that there is there is definitely room on on the table for him to kind of set it the way that he wants in in a way that we haven't seen before, and that's that really excites me. Well, let me qualify the the monster comment that I made earlier sure. because I was basically just going with what Kylo believes himself to be. Because you know when he when when Ray calls him a monster in the uh, the the transgalactic phone call, right. if you want to transwarp mind melt, it was kind yes, of a transwarp exactly. mind melt. It was. It was. <laughs> uh, she she just she calls him a monster. Is is this vehement accusatory tone that she takes with him, and in a very matter of fact, almost casual Timothy McVeigh Jeffrey Dahmer kind of way, he just goes, "I know." Yeah. Like there's nothing there's nothing <laughs> right. even that vindictive about his acknowledgement of it. It's just he's he's incorporated that into his own personality. So Rachel, when it comes to Kylo Ren. Because you didn't seem particularly taken with him in The Force Awakens. <laughs> no, I wasn't. But the word that comes to mind, I can't say on air. Okay, fair enough. Uh, you're gonna have to tell me that later. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah, I'll share that with you guys later. But, <laughs> but. Did this movie make enough of a case to you, someone who was unconvinced about the place that he can serve? Did he, did this movie show you? Did it, did you get him after seeing the Last Jedi? Yeah, no, I definitely. I he, uh, he made more sense as a conflicted kind of guy. Yeah, and not just a Anakin grandpa worshiper. Yeah. Um. Like kind of a Darth Vader fanboy who is kind of playing around with the dark side. Take that ridiculous his, thing off. Yeah, his <laughs> his ability to deceive Snoke was that's impressive, right? Mm-hmm. And it's just I I feel like he you know he might think that he's doing the right thing, mm-hmm. and I think that always makes an interesting villain when they seem to sort mm-hmm. of think that also you know when i first saw adam driver i thought he was like one of the ugliest actors i'd ever seen <laughs> and and now i've kind of like come around and now i think he's attractive and i don't know what happened You've there grown <laughs> to his face. yeah so well and good a, for him a, a friend of mine who cicero you know but uh kyle there's a friend of mine named paul herman who's right. very very big star wars fan and he's very embedded in the star wars fan community and he did not like this movie when it first came, when he first saw it but he's come around mm-hmm. to it and he explains something to me about kylo ren that i think the movie makes a very plain case for and that is that he has just known rejection his entire life his dad probably didn't care too much to be involved his mom when she started to understand that he was going to be difficult, pawned him off on her brother. And he wakes up one night and sees his uncle who ignited his lightsaber ready to kill him. The totality of all of those events 
really kind of shoved him away. I mean, granted, the movie implies that Snoke had already started to corrupt him to a degree, right. but it's almost like his family had shoved him into Snoke's waiting arms. And I think that that adds another wrinkle to it. But mm-hmm. Kyle, when you saw The Force Awakens, because I know the movie itself didn't make much of an impression on you. Did Kylo Ren at all make an impression on you, at least as far as his potential was concerned? Or did he strike you as a carbon copy of what we've seen in this series before? Uh, no, I, I thought he was different enough. I, uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, if I thought he was a copy of Lord Vader, I thought at the very least he was a young undisciplined one, which was also interesting. Sure. Uh, within the old imperial power structure, he probably would have been okay, but in the First Order and its tenuous uh, operating, uh, you know, its tenuous grasp on power, um, I think that would have been a very interesting thing to see. But his angst and emoness and unpredictability is justified in, in light of his story arc now, I think. But in The Force Awakens, you know, I thought, <laughs> cool. <laughs> you know, it was it was different. You, you're not used to seeing Jedi people lose their cool, and seeing him lose his cool that hard, I was like, "That's new territory for me." Sure, yeah, and I, I'm I'm totally there with you. I mean, that was one of the things that I thought immediately set him apart in the sense that you know we're so accustomed to seeing Darth Vader's cold, calculating exactness mm-hmm. in dealing with the the problems that are laid before him, and actually seeing some petulance in the dark side was refreshing but it certainly just got turned up to 11 in the last jedi and made him stand apart in a more unique and frankly a more rewarding way especially when he started to take ownership of his own identity uh Mm. and yeah i mean we we've said it multiple times over the course of this discussion he kind of embodies the you know let the past die kill it if you have to I think that's kind of ironic, actually. Uh, sorry mm-hmm. to step on. No, no, no. Please, please. Um, he 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 expressed the film's theme most, you know, directly. Let the past die. Kill it if you have to. But ironically, he is he killed Snoke, and he's taking control of the Empire in a way. He's putting on the old clothes of the Empire, mm-hmm. thinking that he can make a difference with it. Really, he's stepping inside of the cage willingly. Right. right? I think in the old trilogy. Uh, the old school British empire versus, you know, like the plucky upstart rebels, uh, you know, people fighting against oppression and, and for freedom, like kind of makes sense. And that whole trilogy is about that. This trilogy is about, in my opinion, like how the old systems aren't going to serve anybody. And mm-hmm. like I mentioned earlier, the resistance has to rebuild itself. And Ray is really going to shine in the new rebellion structure. Kylo isn't. Like he's not going to be able to assume the head position of of the first order and get it to do what he needs to do to uh, make effective changes. He's just going to dig himself deeper deeper in the mud, I think. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think that's a little bit of a, a, a touch of irony that he is the one saying we can change the future uh, with the old tools. Sure. You know? Yeah. Well, and uh, let's also not forget too that. He was ready to not just walk away from fighting the resistance, but away from the First Order right. when he makes mm-hmm. his proposition to Ray. And what I want to try and maybe find out, 
I feel like it would be a cop out if the implications of their discussion in the throne room after they killed the Praetorian Guard and after they killed Snoke or after he killed Snoke more specifically, it would be a cop out to just immediately say, oh, well, this is romantic because it doesn't feel romantic in a strict sense. It feels weirdly enough more profound than that. But I kind of, I guess I'm afraid of them, of the next creative team, maybe kind of taking a cop out and just portraying them in, more explicitly as star-crossed lovers. I don't know. What do you guys think about the uh, the the dynamic? I guess between Kylo Ren and Ray Rachel. I thought it was sexy. Oh well. So did you get a romantic impression then? Um, no, not really. I think there. I felt like maybe there was some implied like tension, but not like romance. Mm-hmm which I think are kind of different things. Right. It felt um, like siblings to me. Right. Yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. That's yes. a good way to look at it. Yeah. I don't know. It felt more sexual than siblings to me, but I don't have any siblings. <laughs> well, so what do I know? Where I'm from. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did not Sorry. see that coming. <laughs> But I don't know. Also, maybe I'm I'm projecting my own confusing feelings about Adam Driver onto this like whole scenario. Um, but I I think it would be weird if they went in a you know straight up romantic direction with those two. Well, and you know part part of it too because Ray is clearly the protagonist of this trilogy. But I don't feel like we got very much from her outside of the of seeing her raw power and seeing the revelation about her parentage, presuming that's true and presuming that holds through episode nine. But uh, I mean, it really does feel like if anybody owned this movie, it was Luke Skywalker and it was Kylo Ren because those characters made such strides and they were the ones who faced off at the end of it. I mean, for all intents and purposes, there was obviously some force projection shenanigans going on there, but that was so awesome. It was. Yeah. yeah that was, that was, that was really cool. I mean, the, the brush off yes. was oh, a moment I was not yes. expecting to yeah. laugh at. Yeah. But the, the moment he steps outside through the crack on the door and he's, he's spacing off the, uh, the at ads, I was like, is he, is he really going to fight? All those machines? Right. Yeah. Oh, that's, right. This is the coolest thing ever. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, so in that sense, I feel like Ray is going to she's gonna need to get more of a of an actual focus by the time we get to episode nine. But I don't know, maybe it's just the fact that I need to absorb the movie one more time, but it doesn't quite feel like her movie. I don't know, Cicero, what do you think? So as far as her, the relationship between her and Kylo Ren, I think that uh, the way I felt, I felt more of a sibling connection, um, and and or even like uh, uh, school uh, school antagonists that mm, you know yeah. now that school is over have become chummy, kind of like the beginning of Twenty One Jump Street. Yeah, (laughs) you know, and that that relationship between those two main characters in high school versus where it is now, and it's still and and you know, and I guess there's still definitely lots of tension there, Um, but there's there is affection, 
um, from 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 both of them because they are kind of tortured. They don't have full direction. They don't have mentors, um, you know, from which to to actually draw and and kind of become themselves. But they're but they're finding solace within each other. Uh, but mm-hmm. it's not. But it's not in my eyes. Not romantic solace. What's funny to me is, I think they are going to put Ray in a relationship, and Ray's going to wind up in a relationship with Poe Dameron. And no, no, yeah, and and so and on on your next watch, uh, they only share the screen for five seconds where Poe introduces himself to Ray and she, you know, he says who he is and she says, I'm Ray. And he says, I know. And that was enough for me to say, mm, I think they're trying to make something brew here. Oh. Uh, so, so <laughs> there, you know, cause I mean, cause obviously the obvious thing is the, will they, won't they with Finn and Ray, but but like you know obviously Finn he when he came you know he he awoke he he uh, also awoken from the haze that was stormtrooper indoctrination finally right. found someone that looked at him like an like an individual um you know and and that was Ray and he, you know they they immediately had this bond and you know obviously there is deep affection there but i don't know if it's romantic affection well and there's also course, the uh the speculation about finn and poe that they might end up together in some way right right exactly but you know and then and then of course they added rose into the mix uh, yeah. for finn um so you know maybe there's going to be a bunch of weird uh, uh star wars love triangles uh, <laughs> happening <laughs> happening which would be amazing by the way sure uh, but, but uh yeah so i think i think uh ray ray is definitely going to play a big a big role uh in in how uh the resistance gets reformed and uh and and the direction that they take and which leads me to another point which is that i don't know if you guys paid attention to this but all of the people all of the protagonists that made decisions were people of color or women That's and true. all of the antagonists I, I noticed were white men all of the antagonists were white men yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that was, and Poe specifically was wrong about his plan exactly. I think, and he was very antagonistic about right. it. I thought that was a bit of commentary yeah, too. Poe exactly. may have caused the significant problem for the resistance because if he, if he didn't get bullheaded and try and pull off a mutiny, then they might not have even been put in that position on crate in the first place. Right. Right. Well, well, I mean, they still would have gone there, which is another thing that you thought, oh, okay, well they're, they're fine now. You know mm-hmm. they they've, they've you know they've walled themselves in into this fortress, and then you know and then and then Finn lets them know about some go go gadget uh, battering ram cannon that they have. Yeah. Um, so so like every every plan that they had went awry. Um, mm-hmm. Poe was definitely wrong. He was the the closest thing to a white male outside of Luke Skywalker um, to to be on. Uh, be on the side of the resistance, and he was wrong about everything. He was wrong about attacking the dreadnought. 
He was wrong about uh, the mutiny. He was wrong about uh, listening to Finn and Rose's plan to to you know ultimately wrong um, to mm. to uh, try and, and stop the the uh, whatever they want to call that the the hyperspace the light speed detector that they had going on. So all yeah. of his plans were wrong. Yeah, and and closest thing to a white man is is correct because Os- Oscar Isaac himself is actually Guatemalan American, right? But right. yes, he definitely yeah. is the closest, right? Uh, to um, to that, but the, yeah, the the, th- the larger thematic uh, visual of that is very well taken and worked in the movie. I thought very well. Yes, absolutely. And 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 you know was was heavy handed and deliberate. Um, you know, as as much as the let the past die, kill it if you have to line that sure that went through went through the entire film. Well, hey, I mean, you know, a bunch of white men have been in power in this country for a long time. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to see that we've kind of screwed things up. And I can say that without feeling threatened. <laughs> let's <laughs> let's just let's give the keys to someone else and see what happens. Okay? But wait, there's a, there's a white guy running the country right now. But and everything. Oh wait. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I just want to point out for people who, because people were like, there are too many girls in the movie or too many women. That the of the main characters, exactly half of them are women. Yeah. So yeah, 50% of the characters are women. That's yes. way. That's not realistic at <laughs> all. That's, that, that is exactly how many women to men there are. Oh so. boy. Way too high. Oh, it's so high. It's ludicrous. Yeah. No, that, was, that was great. Well, uh, the one last thing that I thought that we should all talk about before we get to our sole listener question and dismiss for the year is, uh, is general Leia. Um, now obviously, you know, this is the final performance of Carrie Fisher, but Leia herself is of course a very, very important pillar of the larger Star Wars universe. And I loved the fact, first of all, I love that they made her general Leia in the force awakens, but when it comes to the last Jedi specifically, I loved how we got service to both her force sensitivity in a couple of different places, as well as the fact that she is a soldier because as much as we saw her in the front lines of battle in the original trilogy, you really get the sense that she is the most experienced level-headed soldier who's in a leading position for the resistance. And Carrie Fisher, at least from my perspective as a performer, did not get her due credit. Because when you look when you look at interviews with Carrie Fisher and you compare that with her performances as Leia in the original trilogy and now in the sequel trilogy. I mean, her entire composure changes. She's an entirely different person when she plays Leia Organa. So let's just go around with our thoughts about what Leia brought to the picture this time. Kyle, why don't we start with you? What were your impressions of Carrie Fisher's final performance as General Leia? Um, I thought it was pretty great. Um, It was cloudy uh, or colored or my impression was colored by the fact that you knew that was the last time you'd see her yes absolutely dead and like it was a little bit like seeing a ghost um in a sense but you know i was really worried that they were gonna kind of fan service the whole thing but she the character ended up being crucial still Mm -hmm. to decision making processes and 
uh, you know, portions of the film. And I, I felt both surprised and grateful that uh, uh, they let her do that as a character and as an actress. But, you know, I thought it was, I thought she was great. She was the, the only adult in the room, especially when it comes to Poe. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I, I was, um, I was pleased with it. Mm-hmm. I was very pleased with it. She brings a lot of uh, good things to the table that she doesn't get credit for because she's in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a very good way of putting it. The actress, I mean. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Rachel, General Leia? Well, I get kind of um, Heath Ledger, Joker vibes, not because they're similar performances at all, but because <laughs> I wonder, I, I just wish she wasn't dead. Mm-hmm. Um, because I wonder, you know, where that character could have gone in the next yeah. in the next episode. And that's, you know, that's how I felt about the Joker and the Dark Knight is, I, you know, I wish Heath Ledger wasn't dead so we could see where this might yeah, go. Yeah, um, and great. so I mostly just felt really sad, but, but it was, I mean, it was great. I, mm-hmm. I have, you know, no complaints and it's, it was really nice to see her and it was a great send off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're going to make me misty thinking of, uh, of the dark night. I mean, I still, even nowadays I watch that movie and I see the Joker say, I think you and I are destined to do this forever. And I just go, if only Mr. Ledger, if only, but, uh, Cicero general Leia. So general Leia was as important to the resistance. And, and I think subconsciously so as the effigy and the memory and the legend of Luke Skywalker um mm. as when she is not present she's you know she is recovering from her uh jedi spacewalk um <laughs> she everything that everything that the leadership does at you know at every given point references things that she has said what would leia mm. excuse me what would leia do uh um, right and what has leia said and uh, you know, Leia's like the dad. She is the adult in the room. She's like the dad for everybody. You know, if you when when Poe was getting getting himself into trouble, and he was you know he was trying to dress down Laura Dern's character, who's now the acting commander of the Resistance. All she had to do was effectively say, "Wait until your father gets home," and said, "You know what Leia says is." Everyone who's concerned about the, you know, the the sunlight, you know, or only only has hope when the sun is out. Doesn't have hope during the night or whatever the whatever the 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 line is. That's what it mm-hmm. meant. Um, and and Poe repeated it and and immediately stood down and realized right. that I can't fill this power vacuum because Leia is just she's just that big of a force. Um, no pun intended. And, and, uh, you really get a sense of how important Princess Leia, Leia Organa is to all of the resistance, all of this non first order, non empire, uh, uh, feeling and, and politics in, in the galaxy. Um, and, and I don't even think she realized that. And she's the last one left. You know, everybody yeah. else is gone. Akbar is gone. Solo is gone. You know, like everybody mm-hmm. that fought in the fought in the old rebellion that helped form the new republic is gone. 
So, yeah. uh, you know, and she she was she was the last one there. She's going to be missed. Absolutely. Well, well, well one one asterisk is is Lindo still alive? Well, the assumption well, we is know. yes, right? But okay. but we we haven't seen him. I don't think he's going to be part of these trilogies. Um, you know, so we, we don't know. Okay. Yeah, okay. I was actually talking with with my buddy Paul. We were playing uh, of all things Battlefront Two last night on Xbox Live, and you know he's plugged into EU canon and pretty much everything that's going on on the Star Wars production side. And from a canonical perspective, yeah, there's nothing that has disputed Lando being alive, but we don't know for sure if he's around. We do know that Donald Glover will be playing a younger version of him in Solo in. We're five right. months away from Solo, and we haven't seen a frame from it, which I find very interesting. Right. But, uh, yeah, your guess is as good as ours. I know that uh, Billy D. Williams is not in the best of physical condition. I mean, he's in his 80s, right. so Ooh, it's pretty yeah. – yeah, yeah. He's. I, I don't think that he's particularly mobile. But, I mean, if they really wanted one final appearance from Lando, then I'm sure that they could get it. But, yeah, it's it's – pretty up in the air at this point from what i understand but uh all right well excellent discussion as usual with uh with our panel so why don't we we have one listener question and uh so why don't we move to that by opening up the old communicator so this comes from aaron henley and he asks how do you feel about star wars moving away from the skywalkers for two entire trilogies the focus has been on them I find myself conflicted. I'm excited at the new opportunities, but worried that we may be losing a major cornerstone of the franchise. What are your thoughts? Kyle, why don't we start with you? Um, I think it's a good thing. Hmm. All right. <laughs> Sorry, I can expand on that. It's a good... The, the family has been the source of the problem. Luke was a good egg. Um, there are a couple of good eggs, but... Let's move on and see what happens to the universe. I'm excited about the rest of the universe. Mm -hmm. Excellent perspective. Rachel? Kylo Ren is a Skywalker. Matrilineal <laughs> lines are just as important as patrilineal <laughs> lines. He's a Skywalker. Copy that. <laughs> Cicero? Um, yes, both what Kyle said and, and what Rachel said. Um, you know, I've already made that point uh, earlier in the show and, and, and was incorrect. So... Um, but it is, <laughs> but it is nice not to have someone whose surname is Skywalker um, actually uh, be involved in in the series, and we get to see it continue to thrive. I think you know people get worried about it. Everything will be fine. It's in good hands. Sure. Well, and uh, the producers, Kathleen Kennedy, who runs Lucasfilm yes. specifically has called this the Skywalker saga. Right. And we still have one episode left in this saga, at least as far as we know. So I think that that Skywalker is Kylo Ren, but I see my buddy Paul is giving me all this fuel for this uh, for this discussion. I'm going to have to throw him a couple of bucks for this. But we were talking, and he brought up a point that I thought was very valid. Ray has no surname, and there yes. isn't really anything to stop her potentially right. Zooming Skywalker yep. in episode nine. I, I actually had that conversation with my friend after watching uh, uh, mm -hmm. watching it again. Um, you know, everyone's sure. got a surname except for Finn. Except for Ray. Right. Finn. And Finn, yes. Finn. But it makes sense that Finn doesn't have a surname. But mm -hmm. Ray can't just be called Ray from nowhere or young Ray or any of that kind yeah. of stuff. You know, she has to find a surname. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and who knows what it will end up being. But I thought that that was an interesting idea. Uh, whether it'll be uh, actually taken advantage of, who knows? But I thought that was a good point. So as long as this is the Skywalker saga, I'm reasonably sure that they are going. That family is going to serve an important part. But again, to Kyle's point, I think that it's perfectly valid and and should be celebrated that you know you, you get the idea that the jedi hero who can save the universe could be anybody and if any movie pushes that idea forward or at least further forward it was the last jedi so uh excellent discussion my friends this is definitely a movie that gives you a lot to think about but uh that's going to uh to cap our star wars journey i think uh we we diverted but we're going to be heading back to the alpha quadrant to talk star trek in our first episode of the year so before we actually close out kyle what's up next for trexpertise are you taking a break until new episodes of discovery resume or do you have something else on the docket uh, I've got a uh, uh, video essay on Westworld. On oh, awesome. Oh, nice. great choice. Great choice. Yeah. That's going to be you – know, yeah. We're going to watch the heck out of that. Yeah. It'll be fun. What she said. And plenty of material there too. Great idea. Uh, all right. Well, so that's actually going to do it for episode 11 of Discovery Debrief. Now, like I said, final episode of the show for 2017 – uh, so for for all of us, from all of us at Discovery Debrief, we hope you have a very happy holiday season wherever you are and however you celebrate it. If you would be so kind, we'd appreciate it if you would like and follow us on our social media channels and maybe even write a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook. It only takes a minute and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter, our Facebook like page, or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes and keep an eye on our various channels to find out when our shore leave is up and when we will return to duty in the Star Trek universe. So for Rachel... For Zachy, for Cicero, for our very special guest, Kyle, I am Chris. Thank you very much for joining us for this episode. Happy holidays, and until we meet again, go boldly, my friends.